Today we're concluding our six-part series on shape, which is kind of too bad because I was watching this acrostic build week by week. That's kind of like a, a Scrabble player's dream, right? You mean you can go diagonally as well? Uh, but this is the Sunday where we try and uh, and put a cap on all of it. Shape, of course, is the acronym that we have used to describe God's design in our lives. God has given us spiritual gifts, that deposit of faith that gets placed in your life when you come to Christ and say, here I am, Lord. I place you in central position in my life, spiritual gifts. The H stands for heart, the things you're passionate about. You probably know what those are, but maybe over time there's layers of dust and calcification that have deposited themselves on top, and we just need to rediscover again what God made us to be excited for. He's given us abilities. The thing that you were good at, you're so good at it, you don't even know that you're good at it. He's given you a personality. What is it that's distinctly you, that makes you, you? And we've known that about you from the time that you were a toddler. And and those things haven't changed, your personality. And today we conclude by looking at the experiences of life, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of them and how God can extract from those experiences all of the possibilities of your life. The most famous passage in the Bible, I think, dealing with experience, is actually one of the most famous passages in the Bible, regardless of any subject. It's Romans 8, chapter 28. As we put it up on the screen, I'm going to invite you to say that with me together, the words of Romans 8, 28. Let's read those words. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his good purpose. Some of you have heard that verse before. Probably one of the most known, the most memorized, the most quoted verses in the Bible. But this is also true. It's often one of the most misunderstood, misapplied, sometimes abused verses in the Bible. Let me tell you what it doesn't say, just so you don't have a disconnect when you read the words. It doesn't say that all things that happen to us in our lives work out the way that we want them to. That is not true, and you know it's not true. It doesn't say that everything that happens on earth has a fairy tale ending to it. It doesn't. We live on a broken planet. What does it say? I mean, let's, let's pick it apart, just phrase by phrase, just for a couple of minutes. We know. We know. It doesn't say that we guess or, or, or we hope or, or we wish. We know. Surely as the sun comes up tomorrow, we know that God is doing this. We know this for certain. And what is it that we know? We know that in all things. What's included in that word all? Yeah, the Greek word there for all means all. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all of it. Does it include your mistakes? Yeah. Does it include my dumb decisions? Of course it does. Does it include your failures? Yes. Would it include your sins? Those too. Would it include things like divorce? or miscarriage, or unemployment, or all the really tragic things that can happen in a human life. Yes, bankruptcy, cancer, all things. We know that God is in all things. We know that in all things, God has a way of 
of weaving these back together into the plan that he has for us. There's a lot of bad in the world. We could actually go a little bit deeper theologically and say beyond just bad and painful, there's a lot of evil in the world. There's evil in people, there's evil in systems, there's, there's just evil that creeps its way into God's beautiful design. That's when a garden actually ceases to become a garden and just becomes a thicket of weeds. But that's not the end of the story. We know that God is at work in all things. What is it work doing? God is at work in all things for the good. For the good. He works for good things. I mean, his, his grand design. Sometimes we want to give up on this, don't we? We see so much agony in the world. We want to give up on the idea that there is a God who's still about good things. But we know this is true. There is a design. Life is not an accident. Your life is not a failure. There is no karma. This is not a matter of random chance. We know that in all things, God is working and he is working for good. Even in the bad? Yeah, even in the bad, even in the worst. In fact, I think that is God's masterstroke, bringing something good out of something terrible. Where else do you see that happening? He loves to take stupid, stupid mistakes and, and out of them to get memorable outcomes. We make mistakes. God redeems mistakes. I mean, God is not a mistake maker, but he is a, a mistake redeemer. And we know that God is at work for the good. And the last phrase, for those who love him. And that, I don't think, is meant to be an exclusive thing. You know, we're in the in club, and so we get the good stuff, and others are on the outside, and, and they're denied that. No, this is a promise that recognizes, if I'm, if I'm thumbing my nose to God, if I'm turning my back on God, if I'm pretending that life is fine without him and I can do everything without him, it's pretty hard for God to be at work in my life, isn't it? I mean, to be clear, God owes me nothing. I don't know about you, but I expect it's probably the same for you. God owes us nothing. And when I deny my creator the right to direct my life, when I ignore his purposes in my life, when I do my own thing, not everything is working for good. In fact, the chances are when we start spiraling down that, that there's not a, a real strong possibility that can, God can reach into that and extract something good. Romans 8.28 is a promise to those who love God and who are called to his purposes, his good purposes. Why? Because I think, I think God, God somehow is able to work in the messiest bits. And out of the mess of life, he can give a message. Out of the tests in life, and life is filled with them, right? God can shape a testimony. I don't know if that's the same root word or not, but it's, it's kind of like a great mess, message, test, testimony. Preachers love to play with these things, right? Out of the crisis, he can show Christ. There's another one. <laughs> Out of the bad things in life, God is doing some, some remarkable things. And today we're going to look at how he does it, how he doesn't waste or lose sight of the experiences 
of our lives. So we're going we're gonna to cover three things. And just when you think we're done, we're going to throw in four more. <laughs> uh, it starts with the embrace. You've got to embrace your experiences. What does that look like? Well, some of you came here with somebody in the car with you. If you came and they were in the car with you, why not just lean over and give them an embrace, right? If you didn't come with them, maybe don't do that. <laughs> but it's name tag Sunday, so have a look at the name tags of the people around you and, and just introduce yourself, say good morning. In fact, let's do this. Hey, it's Valentine's Day. Uh, let's give each other some gifts. Hey, you want a sucker? Oh, terrible throw. Anybody else? Jennifer, heads up. I'm not going to toss to everybody. Let's pass these around a little bit. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. How about some sweets? Embrace these. As you think about the embrace, what is it that gets caught up in the embrace? It's our past. It's our past. And I know we've talked a lot before about not being ruled by your past, not dragging your past into the present. But your past is there. And it gets folded into the events and experiences of life that make you, you. Yeah, you can have more than one. Sure. Yeah. Have a chocolate, have a sucker, of course. Galatians 3 verse 4 says this. You have experienced many things. Were all of those experiences wasted? I hope not. Don't run away from your past. Because of... Because of pain and painful memories, a lot of people will ignore our past or discount it. It's filled with regrets and resentments, and we just we won't deal with it. Or, or maybe we go even a step further and we revise our past. We kind of rewrite it. We make up little stories about how things once were, and they're not true, but we tell them to ourselves and we tell them to other people as a way of trying to deal with the pain of the past. If you're in denial about your past, God cannot redeem it, and he cannot use it. And God loves to do that, to redeem the experiences of our past, to use them for his purpose. Every experience, the relationship ones, the vocational ones, work life, the, uh, the educational ones, the beautiful ones, the painful ones, all of the ones, the things you liked and the things you didn't. He can use them all, but, but only, only when you stop running from them. Maybe your parents weren't that great. Maybe you weren't that hot in school. You're never the quarterback on the Super Bowl team. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe your first marriage or your experience of marriage was, was not strong. But they're your experiences. They're your life. You, you hold them in, and then you invite God into that sacred spot and to use them. You remember them, and then you allow God to work on that canvas of your life. Deuteronomy 11, verse 2 says, Remember all the things you've learned about the Lord through all of your experiences with him. And you learned about him, whether you acknowledge it or not. You learned about him in seasons of trial, and you learned about him in seasons of delight. 
in moments of depression and in moments of exhilaration. Remember what you've learned. How do you do that? I don't know. Uh, one of the best ways, I think, is to keep a journal. Yeah. A journal is not the same as a diary. A diary is kind of you write down, today I went to the store and I bought peanut butter. It was on sale. Have you noticed that Instagram and Facebook have become like the diaries of this century? And we're so bored, we read other people's diaries. I, I mean, I, I love you. I don't care what you had for dinner last night. And you can take a picture of it. And that, that's, a, that's a diary. What is a journal? A journal is when you write down an important lesson that life has taught you. This was painful. I learned the hard way. I don't want to forget. And you write it down. You write down your experiences and what you were able to take from them. And you do it looking backwards because hindsight always affords a kind of clarity that we don't get in the present. I, I wish we had it, but you know this is true. We, we see better in reverse, I think, than we do in, in fast forward. Even Jesus acknowledged this. He said in John chapter 13, verse 7, listen, right now, in the present, Jesus replied, you don't realize what I'm doing, but later on you will understand. Looking backwards, our sight is just so much clearer. How many of you had that experience? You didn't know what it was going on, but you look back and you see how God wove himself into your story. Didn't know it in the moment, but in the rearview mirror, there it is. When you find that, write it down, journal it out. Embrace the lessons that life has for you. Embrace the experiences. Here's the second thing. From embrace, we move to the extraction. We started to talk about that with the journals. You own your past, and then you extract the lessons of your life. There are people who are 50 years old. None of them are here. You know, a few of them are here. How many of you look at 50 and think, that is impossibly old? Yeah, few, that's it, Brian. That's a, how many of you think that is wistfully young? <laughs> 50. Um, but, but check me on this one. You have probably met people who are 50 years old, but chronologically they're not, chronologically they're 50, but, but in terms of human beings, they're, they're not actually 50, maybe they're five. Because what's happened is they, They've lived 50 years, but they've, say, they've lived the same year over and over again 50 times. They never learned, they never grew, they never extracted the lessons from life. These words from 2 Corinthians 13, they kind of apply. It says, examine and test and evaluate your own selves. Extract the lessons of life. See whether you're holding on to your faith. Do you not realize that by an ever-increasing experience that Jesus Christ is at work in you? An ever-increasing experience. I mean, haven't you figured out, I'm sure you have by now, that you are never alone. That God is with you in every moment. Even when you felt the most lonely, he was there. What does that mean? It means that when you take the time to look back on the experience of, of your life and you extract the lesson you can look for. We can look for benefits and you can look for patterns and you look for lessons. The benefits, you look back and say, what have I really enjoyed in my life? That job that I love so much. And then you ask, this is how you extract the lesson. What is it that I love so much about that job? Specifically, what parts of the job had me so excited? That helps you understand your shape. 
by the way. You don't just say, I really liked that class. You say, what exactly about the class did I like? And you get little clues about how God has made you and where he's directing you to go. You don't just examine the experiences. Uh, you, you hold them, you, you learn from them, you write them. And an unexamined experience it really has no value to you. You look for patterns. Particularly, you might want to look for patterns in your failure. I mean, at least this is where I find patterns. Wherever I failed in the past, and why am I still failing in the same place, in the same way, for the same reason? What is God trying to teach me here? The Bible says in Job 32, verse 7, this is a great verse, the longer you live, the wiser you become. I just wish it were true. I mean, sometimes there are words like this in the Bible, and I think they're holding out possibilities. That the older you get, the wiser you can become. But I'm not sure that these were promises spoken with 100% certainty. It's a possibility. It's, it's not a promise. I know lots of people who are old and dumb. I see one in the mirror in the mornings. <laughs> Wisdom doesn't come automatically with age. It is a possibility, not a promise. What is maturity? Maturity is being able to extract the lessons from the experiences of life. That's what makes a person mature. That's wisdom rather than just knowledge. And the amazing thing about the school of experience, well, two things really. One is if you feel like you failed at something, you get a do-over tomorrow. And you get another do-over the next day because experiences. I mean, they just, they're not, they're not time limited. Every day provides another canvas of experiences on which you get to paint the story of your life. Here's the second thing about the school of experience. Just about the time you think you've graduated, they roll out a whole new curriculum for you. (laughs) All new courses. You are in this school of experiences for your whole life. So you embrace your experiences and you try and extract lessons from them. Here's the third one. You employ your experiences to help others. Hmm. When you finally realize that the purpose of your life is far greater than just your own survival and satisfaction, problems become a whole lot easier to handle because it challenges your perspective. You're able to use the experiences of your life for a greater purpose. It hurt me, but maybe what I learned through that pain, I can use in your life and save you the same anguish. St. Paul in Philippians chapter 1 said, I want you to know this, my friends, that the things that have happened to me have actually helped the progress of the gospel. All the things, things that would trigger immense anxiety if we heard about what, what Paul went through in his life. He's been captured, incarcerated, shipwrecked, snake bit. Now he's thrown into prison when he's written this word, and he's actually shackled to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. They were afraid of him. And he says, the things that are happening to me have actually caused the gospel to spread further. It's spreading all over Rome. That's a different expression or experience or perspective around the hard things of life. The Bible teaches that that all of those experiences, they get extracted, uh, they they, they get received and and embraced, uh, and then they get put into service. What does that look like? Well, 
I mentioned that just when you thought we were done with the three, there would be the four that I'm sneaking in. I'm going to give you four words, all starting with the letter M. I don't know, because maybe we pretend we remember better that way. But four words, they're in your notes. How do we use those experiences for the benefit of other people? The first is the word ministry. You use them to minister to others. The key verse here, 2 Corinthians 1, 6 to 8. In our trouble, God has comforted us. And this too is to help you, to show you from our personal experience how God will tenderly comfort you when you undergo these same sufferings. He'll give you the strength that you need to endure. The point here is that God takes us through problems, comforts us, educates us, strengthens us, and then places us alongside somebody else where we can redeem all of those experiences by helping them through the same. You've heard people say, my life is so blessed. I just feel blessed. Have you heard people say that? People still saying that? We feel blessed. Do this sometime. Say, I just feel so blessed. Say, uh, what are you doing with that? I mean, that sense that God has dealt richly with you. What are you doing with that? How is it overflowing from your life into the lives of other people? The point here is that God, God blesses us in order to release something in us that gets shared with other people. Use your experiences. Who better to help somebody who's going through cancer than a cancer survivor? Or who better to comfort somebody who has lost a loved one to cancer than somebody who has worked through that kind of grief? Who better to help somebody dealing with an addiction, whether it's pills or pornography or whatever it is, than a recovering addict who knows what it's like to have their life in the grip of a force so strong that they feel like it is out of control? Who better to help somebody deal with the pain of divorce than someone who has been there and knows the anguish and the loneliness and the brokenness and maybe knows that life can heal even that and offer new possibilities on the other side? Who better to help somebody deal with the problem of rejection or adultery than someone who's experienced that kind of pain and have found at last a deeper and truer identity as one created by and loved by God and would find their deepest sense of purpose and richness there. Who better to help parents raising a special needs child than parents who have already raised one and are still raising one? God never wastes a hurt. I know you've heard me say that around here before, but God God doesn't squander our pain. And he can use it remarkably as a way to benefit and bless other people. That thing you were most embarrassed about, that thing that you regret most, that that injustice that was done to you, that, that prejudice, that wound or sin or mistake or whatever it was, that you would rather just stay hidden forever, that may turn out to be your greatest ministry. Because you will, I don't know, this is an always thing. It's been my experience that you will probably help more people through your weaknesses than you will through your strengths. That's a God thing. I mean, that is an upside-down, kingdom-reverse, God-ordained thing. You will help more people through your weaknesses than your strengths. When you try and help somebody only out of your strengths, they may look at you and say, wow, that's impressive. Not me, I couldn't do that. But when you come alongside them in, in weakness and say, 
that thing you're going through that's so hard. Uh, my thing was different, but it was hard. Maybe we could just talk about what it looks like to invite God into that awful place. When you don't use your experiences, they, they just kind of get wasted. Wouldn't it be nice to know that the experiences of your life are useful? Especially the bitter ones, the unspoken ones. There are a lot of things that happen on this planet that God hates. Uh, I mean, clearly, he, he hates sin and evil and injustice, and he, and he weeps. But if you refuse to let God deal with any of that and bring the good out of it, all that you're left with is the pain. And God, as a parent, wouldn't want to see any of his children left in pain. So there's a ministry aspect to your experiences. You can use them as you minister to other people. You use them to motivate people. Second M, ministry, motivation. Encourage one another. First Thessalonians 5.11. What a great verse. Encourage one another. We're told that we, we exist. One of the purposes we're here together is to build each other up and motivate and inspire. How do you do that? You do it when you share your experiences in the same way that Rachel and Brandon did this morning. Isn't that beautiful? Boy, when the engine in your automobile is failing and the engine in your heart is failing at the same time, go see them. What a great sharing of experiences in life. When you share your experiences, you you help people to, to combat their fears. And you know, one of the most common, actually, I read this week that it's probably the most common fear out there right now. It's not snakes <laughs> or spiders or, or heights. Um, public speaking is what I thought it was. But these days, they say the most common fear out there is people are afraid they're going crazy. And COVID has just kind of done that to us. We, we all feel like something is not right. We need those who can come alongside and say, you're not crazy. I mean, the world is crazy. Some of these experiences that we've survived together, they're crazy, but you're not crazy. You can get through this. I believe in you. You can do this. I've seen how God works in situations just like this. Don't give up. You can do it. Roger Bannister, you know the name Roger Bannister? Any of you fans of athletics, particularly track and field? Roger Bannister was the man famous because he broke what was considered an unbreakable barrier in human achievement. He was the first to to break the four-minute mile barrier. And for centuries, this had existed and thought, people thought, it can't be done. Human anatomy, human species, we were just not made to run that quickly, that continuously. But he trained. He had a group of people around him who trained, and they trained in intervals. And one day, the whole world knew about it. It was front-page news. He finally breaks through this unbreakable barrier, the first man to get under the four-minute mile. Here's what a lot of people don't know about Roger Bannister. Within months of that achievement, 12 other people followed him. I mean, for centuries, nobody had done it. And then Bannister proves it can be done. And suddenly, lining up behind him is a whole cadre of people who don't feel like this is an insurmountable wall anymore, and they get over it. 
There's something about the experience of other people that motivates, inspires, and challenges us. Let your experiences do that for others. Ministry motivation, the third M is modeling. We can model for other people. This is the Apostle Paul, and boy, here's a scripture that is daunting, but let's, let's have a look at it. Paul says, dear brothers and sisters, I want you to pattern your lives after mine. This is not Jesus speaking. This is Paul speaking. Pattern your lives after mine. Learn from those who follow our example. Follow my example. Any of you feeling courageous enough to pray that? There's the Apostle Paul saying, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Look to me. We're so afraid because we're, uh, we're just immersed in a culture where where the fall of high-profile leaders in the faith demoralizes us, that we want to say, don't look at the leaders, just look at Jesus. But, but there is something just on a human level important about saying, here's an example of what it looks like in practice. Follow me. Follow them. Follow her. God wants you to be a model. I, I looked up the word model um, because I, I was... Like you daunted by this verse. Should we really be saying that? Follow me, model yourself after me. Why not just follow Jesus? A model, according to the dictionary, is a smaller representation of the real thing. So you think like model trains, model airplanes, uh, a small representation of the real thing. God is asking us to be a model, a small representation of the real thing, of Jesus. To be a Christian means literally Christ to be a little Christ. Let's be a little Christ, a model of Jesus. And when other people want to know, well, what is Jesus like? What does he stand for? What does the gospel mean? I can point and say, well, look at them. And look at them. Look at them. And in the most courageous of moments, we say, and look at me. Not because it's perfect, but because I'm trying to model it. Do we ever blow it? Of course we blow it. But we're asked to be a model, a little model of Christ at work, a little model of Christ at school, in the neighborhood, with your boyfriend, with your wife, a little Christ, a model. Paul just knew that, uh, that we need this. We, we need to see it functioning at a human level. To your brothers and sisters, he said, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. One of the things that, that can be an inspiring new direction in life is, is to identify those who are, who are at a place in their relationship with, with God and in the world and the work that they do and, and say, boy, I, I really respect that. And attach yourself to that. What is it that they have done? What are the experiences that propelled them to that place? How can we learn from those things? That's the secret of franchising, by the way. You take something that worked one place, Starbucks, Subway, and you clone it, and you do it in a bunch of other places. Now, this whole series is about saying there are no clones. God made you unique. But that doesn't mean that that the experiences of this life over here cannot be informing my life over here. That's... That's what modeling is all about. And if you take modeling one level deeper, because Jesus was a, he was a great model. The, the reason his teaching is so memorable is because he didn't just say it. He said it and then he, wanted to, he went on to live it out. 
I've given you a model to follow, Jesus said. I've done it for you. You should do it the same way. John 13, 15. Yeah. But maybe a deeper level than, than modeling is the word mentoring. So there's, there's ministry and there is modeling that's going on and there's motivation. But at the deepest level, there is this idea of mentoring which is saying, I'm going to take a special interest in this life. And I'm going to invest deeply in this life over a more extended period of time. The word mentor, like a guide, uh, it's an old word. Some of you know where the word mentor comes from? Any students of the classics? It comes from that poem by Homer, the Odyssey. And you remember the, the king takes his people off to war. He's fighting the Trojan War. And he leaves his kingdom in the hands of a trusted advisor and a counselor. And he leaves his family in the hands of this man. And so this man is now responsible not just for the affairs of state, but for raising up and teaching and instilling values in the life of the king's son. The man's name? His mentor. <laughs> a mentor helps you in three areas of your life. Role, goal, and soul. Help you understand your role. What is it that I am invited and asked to do? Your goal. What is it I'm trying to accomplish in your soul? What am I becoming as I'm doing it? Role, goal, and soul. It's the purpose of mentoring. They help you become the kind of person that God has shaped you to be. This is what the Bible says in Proverbs 25. A warning given by an experienced person to someone who is willing to listen is more valuable than gold or rings or jewelry. Thank God for mentors, right? Those of you who are over 40, oh, this verse is for you, and you've heard it already in one format. Here's another translation, Job 32, 7. Age should speak. Age should speak. And experience should teach wisdom. Are you doing that? Are you allowing age to speak through your life? Are you mentoring anyone? Do this. Avoid this, sharing experiences. If you are under 40, this verse is for you, Job 8, 8. Ask the former generation and pay attention to the experiences of our ancestors. Job 8, 8. You can save yourself a lot of pain. A lot of pain. You will learn everything that you learn in life, either through personal experience or as principles that can you, appreci you appreciate that others have, have kind of seeded into you. If you learn everything by experience, you're dumb and you're in pain constantly. You're just getting knocked around. I don't have time to learn everything by experience, and it's a painful way to navigate life. Far wiser to learn from the experience of other people. Hey, let's close not only this morning, but the series with, with this. I want you to imagine for just a second... In fact, let's not imagine. Let's look around a little bit. Stand up. We can do this, right? Stand up. Do a full 360. Look all the way around the room. Take notice of the people that are here. What if we were to combine all of the experiences of the people who are in the room now and realize there was another big group of people in the room before you got here? There'll be people through in this room throughout the day. There are people on the, uh, on the camera, on the other side of the camera, joining us online in their room. What if all of those people, all of those experiences, 
All of those gifts, abilities, personalities, heart, postures, all of those things were released in the GTA. What if you prayed at the end of this series, Lord, I offer my life to you. Everything that I've been through, I give it to you. I give it to you. You can be seated. Thanks. We need mentors. We need marketplace mentors. We need maturity mentors and ministry mentors and mission. We need marriage mentors. How many of you don't have any marriage problems? Well, a few of you who aren't married, yes. <laughs> There's a word for people who don't have any marriage problems. Liars. They... <laughs> we said this last week. Here's the key to marriage. You married a sinner. Yeah, and so did she. <laughs> a bigger one. Or so did he. We need mentors. In every area of life, for this whole canvas of the GTA on which God invites us to enact our ministry. God comes alongside and says, don't waste what you've got. Your shape, your heart, your spiritual gifts, your abilities, your personality, and especially your experiences. In fact, let's pray for that now. Would you join me? Lord, we offer our lives to you in these moments. Everything that we've been through, use it for your sake. God, we offer our days to you. The busyness of our days and the quietness or even the restlessness of our nights. We offer our praise to you and we offer our pain. And as a living sacrifice, we bring to you everything that we are. Our gifts our abilities, our personality, our experiences. And Lord, we give you our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.